message I'm going to share tonight is entitled Fear of the Lord. And this is another piece of what God just stirred in me and spoke to me a lot during my healing journey. And it was one of those things where I didn't have any idea how many times the Bible talks about fear of the Lord. I'm going to teach what it isn't, and I'm going to teach what it is. But what I want to share in, in introduction is that those scriptures kept coming to me. It was in that Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 scripture that I taught on last week. In one of the verses in that series of verses, it said there were three directions. It said, don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn entirely away from evil. And then the promise that follows is, it shall be health to your body. Well, and health and healing, healing to your bones, refreshing to your bones. That scripture goes on and on and on, and I needed every bit of it. But the point is, fear of the Lord is integral in a lot of stuff, including health, including healing and health. So I was reading it and meditating on it, and I kept, and it's not just in that scripture, it's in a bunch of scriptures. So I was um, hearing it from God to my heart over and over. And it was like, okay, God, I need to know this and I need to understand it so that I can live it, so that I can apply it. And that's why I want to share this with you today. One of the pieces of fear of the Lord is reverence. In fact, it's the biggest. Reverence, awe, yes. In fact, the word awe, God spoke to me a couple of years ago because the word awesome is a slang word that we use in our English language a lot. And we say everything is awesome. From food to, you know, clothes to things. I mean, we just use the word awesome all the time. And God spoke to me one day and he said, will you save that word for me? Because the word awesome means to be filled with awe. And Above all, we should be filled with awe when we are putting our eyes and our heart on him. That is the main definition. We're going to go much deeper, but that's the big idea of fear of the Lord. So we're Okay, so I'm excited to share this word with you. The title is The Fear of the Lord. And the first thing I want to share with you is what the fear of the Lord is not. Because it's easy to misinterpret. When we hear the word fear, we think of phobia fear. We think of the negative spirit of fear. We think of the fear that attacks us and it keeps us from living the fullness of life that God has given us. And yet the Bible says we are to have fear of the Lord. So I'll tell you what fear of the Lord is not. It is not being afraid of judgment or wrath of God. Because God First of all, he's good. God is love. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He doesn't give bad things to his beautiful children who he loves so much. And that judgment that was due, the punishment, the, 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 um, the consequence of sin has already been paid for through Christ. We have been set free. We've been redeemed. Hi, Hannah. Good to see you, honey. We have been redeemed. So all the wrath has been placated. No more wrath of God. So that's not what fear of the Lord is. Although I will say this, that's only true if Jesus is your Savior, that the wrath has been satisfied it's available for all humanity. We know that. It's available for all. But it's only ours if we've accepted it and received it. Because God didn't make robots. He made children with hearts, with souls, with minds. And he's given us a free will. And it's, for, it's up to us to accept it. So if people haven't accepted Jesus for whatever reason, then they should have fear of the Lord. They should have the kind of fear that is the phobia fear. Because Judgment is awaiting them until they receive Jesus. And then they can accept the same gift that we have, which is fullness of redemption, 
fullness of forgiveness, fullness of eternal life with Jesus. That's good news, right, Jamie? You're just smiling from ear to ear. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, God. So that's not what fear of the Lord is. And this is how I want to share with you. I want to show you Jesus and his example of fear of the Lord. And then I'll share what it is throughout this evening. First thing I want to read is a prophetic word from Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, about Jesus. This was written like 700 years before Jesus was born. And it's pointing to our Savior. Then a shoot, the Messiah, will spring from the stock of Jesse, David's father. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and of reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. In, in Hebrews 10.38, the Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So this scripture talks about that anointing. He was anointed with a spirit. He needed, he depended completely on the spirit of God. He needed the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He needed the spirit of counsel and strength and of knowledge, and this, this thing that I'm teaching about tonight, the fear of the Lord. In fact, it says he delighted in the fear of the Lord. I looked up the word delight, and this is what it means. It means to have a high degree of gratification or pleasure. So Jesus was gratified. He was filled with good feeling, with pleasure in his fear of the Lord. So fear of the Lord. This is the first definition I'm going to give you, and we're going to expand it through the night. Fear of the Lord is reverential awe, respect, honor, trust, love, submission, and obedience towards God. And it's making a choice to live your life pleasing God more than pleasing anyone or anything else. The reverential awe and the trust and the respect that is in your heart is manifested in your choice, your desire to please God and to choose and to want to please him more than anything else more than anyone else. And that's what Jesus lived his life doing. So I'm going to share several scriptures. And I was just in awe. You know, I love it when, when, I, when Holy Spirit, you know, works to put things together in these teachings. And I can see all in one place, all of these instances where Jesus, who was fully man, chose to listen to his father and be obedient and submissive. Even against the culture or the, the, what the world was doing. Jesus wasn't like the world at all in his, in his um, time that he lived. So let's read a few scriptures. The first one is John chapter 8, verses 25 through 29. The people were talking to Jesus, and they said to him, Who are you anyway? And Jesus replied, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I say to the world only the things that I've heard him say. They did not, and the people that were listening, they didn't realize or have the spiritual insight to understand that Jesus was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man on the cross, you will know then, without any doubt, that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority. But I say these things just as my father, my father taught me. And he who sent me is always with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. So here's Jesus. The people are questioning him. Who do you think you are? Why are you doing what you're doing? And what Jesus was saying, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but what he was saying is I'm only doing what I hear my father directing me to do. 
because they were like, this isn't what everybody else does. You don't speak the way the rabbis speak. You don't teach. You don't act. So why? And he said, it's because I'm hearing, I'm doing what my father's telling me. He says, I don't do anything in my own authority. And then that last line, I always do what pleases him. This next example, beautiful example, on Jesus listening and then being obedient. Even I'm presuming that it is against his wishes. I, when we read this, you'll see what I mean. If I was in Jesus' shoes in this next account, I wouldn't want to do what Jesus did. Let's read it. This is the story of Lazarus. This is the story where Jesus is called to, to, take, to heal Lazarus when he's on his deathbed. Now, what this story doesn't, well, it does tell a little bit in the scripture, but what I want to preface this with is that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were very close to Jesus, close family friends. And that made it even more difficult for Jesus not to go to Lazarus right at the beginning. So let's read, because he's listening to his father. He's doing what his father said. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the same Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now just imagine for a moment that it's a friend of your family and it's a dear friend. And the family calls you and says, your dear friend is sick. Come, come, pray, lay hands on him, anoint him with oil. I don't know about you, but probably every one of us would change our plans and we'd go. But listen to what Jesus did. There's a but. Whenever there's a but in Scripture, I always pay attention. Because God's really speaking. He's changing the story. But when Jesus heard about it, this is what he said. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And then finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, it was a couple days travel from Bethany to Judea. And by the time he got there, it, Lazarus had been long dead. He was been in the tube three days, I believe. And he rose him from the dead. So the story didn't end. God told him, this will not end in death. It didn't end in death. There was death in the middle. But that wasn't the end of the story. The, God had a bigger plan. And it was to, it was for the glory of God so that the Son of Man would receive glory from this. And we see right after that event, everything started accelerating to the end, which was really the beginning, where Jesus paid the price in full for our salvation. And it all started with Lazarus's resurrection, death and resurrection. So God had a different plan. And Jesus, although he loved Lazarus like a, like a dear friend, he made the choice to wait because that's what his father said. That's choosing to please God instead of pleasing man. That is having such a reverence for God, such a, a heart trust in God, that he said, okay, God, if that's what you say, that's what I'll do, even though it doesn't make sense. Here's another example. Jesus' first priority was pleasing his Father and submitting to the Father's will. I'm going to share three examples. The first one is Jesus with the Apostle Peter. Peter was one of the inner circle of apostles, Peter, James, and John. And in the account that I'm going to read, right before this takes place, Jesus affirms Peter. He um, has asked his apostles, he said, who do you say I am? And Peter spoke up boldly. And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus was pleased with that answer. He said, you're right. And he said, you could only have known that by the spirit of God. So Peter had just had Jesus say, wow, good job, Peter. And then Jesus started to tell the apostles very explicitly what was going to happen. That's where I'm going to pick up. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must of necessity suffer many things and be rejected as the Messiah, 
by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and must be put to death and after three days rise from death to life. He was stating the matter plainly, not holding anything back. Then Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. But turning around with his back to Peter and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not set on God's will or his values or purposes, but on what pleases man. So here, the same Peter who he had just, you know, affirmed for saying, yes, you are the son of God, is now saying, get behind me, Satan. Because the will of God was for Jesus to come and fulfill the judgment for all of mankind. And he was trying to share his, what was going to happen so that that word would come back to them and they would know. They needed to know ahead of time so that when it happened, they would be prepared to, to receive all that Jesus had paid for. And yet Peter was saying, oh, no, 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 Jesus, that is not going to happen. We're going to protect you. Maybe we've seen the Chosen series. They do a good job of portraying Jesus, or Peter as the, 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 the one that was ruthless and that would do anything, and he was like, give me a sword. I'm going after him. And that's where he was, but Jesus said, no. And he said, it's not, your mind is not on what God's will is. Your mind is on what pleases man. So Jesus, even unto death, wanted to be obedient and submissive to his father. The second example I have, I can really, really relate to, and probably you can as well. And it has to do with Jesus and his family. Remember, this reverence is to have such, this fear of the Lord is to have such reverence and trust and respect and honor of God that your first love and your first choice is to please him even more than your family. So let's read this next scripture. While he was still talking to the crowds, it happened that his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. But Jesus replied to the one who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples and all his other followers, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven by believing in me and following me is my mother and my brother and my sister. Now, I don't believe Jesus was disrespecting his mother in any way because he followed the will of God, the love of God, and God tells us to respect and honor our parents. That's, I don't believe that's what he was doing. But I believe what he was saying was, right now, I am in the middle of teaching I'm in the middle of, of doing my father's will. I heard my father say, speak this to the people, and that's what I'm doing. So not right now, Mom. Not right now. I'm not going to interrupt what I'm doing to go right here, right now, and talk to mom and brothers and sisters. And we also know from um, other scripture, you maybe didn't know this. It's very interesting. His brothers did not accept him as Messiah until after he died and was resurrected. So hard telling what was going on in that situation. And he said, no, I am not going to interrupt us to take a break and go talk to my mom and my brothers and my sisters. Now, probably a lot of you have been in a similar situation where your love for God, your desire to please God has taken precedence over your respect and your honor for your family. I know that's happened in my family. I love my family dearly, but they don't agree with me. They would never be sitting here in this meeting. So when I share with them, when I give them, and I don't share very often because they disagree with me and they don't receive. So it's hard. I mean, when I'm with my family, we have to talk about grandbabies because I can talk about that. But there's, 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 we don't have much in common because my life is Jesus and ministry and healing and, and miracles and signs and wonders and the word of God. And when I talk about anything that has to do with this ministry, the only response I get is, 
that's nice. And the conversation shifts. So I can relate to Jesus. My first love is God. There was one instance. Um, I'm going to have to remember to take this out, Kent, if I share this. And I started, we're going to have to. Um, there was one instance where my sister specifically asked me who I was going to put first. And she didn't say God. She said, but your, your um, I don't remember what word she put on it, but this ministry and what I do with my life or the family. What are you going to put first? And I had to tell her, this is my first love. Not just the teaching, but Jesus is my first love. And I had to tell her that because it's the truth. But she very specifically asked me that question. So fear of the Lord is because of that reverence. It's not just a choice, like I'm going to do this and not that. But it comes out of your love for God. It comes out of your reverence, your trust in him, your respect. Here's another really powerful example. This is Jesus with the religious leaders. So picture this. In the culture and the day and the time in which Jesus lived, the synagogue, the temple in Jerusalem, was where the high, powerful, mighty men, and, and not women, men of God were. The scribes, the chief priests, the leaders, the Pharisees. Look at how Jesus spoke to them. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man man-made ideas, or they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and to listen. He said, listen, try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Because in that day, there was a lot of teaching about do, don't do this, do this. Don't eat this, eat this. There was all sorts of rules and regulations about what was clean and what was unclean. And if you didn't do it, you were excluded. You were not even allowed to be in that, the presence of, of you know, the, the, the religious ceremony. And Jesus was saying, that's not what defiles you. Not what goes in your mouth. What defiles you is what comes out. Now here's key. What is ever in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. And so what is in here, you'll hear it come out of the mouth. That's what shows whether you're defiled or not. Then the disciples, listen to this. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? And Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted so ignore them. Jesus is telling them, ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they'll both fall into a ditch. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, our Messiah, our compassionate King. And yet he's calling it like it is. He said they are blind guides leading the blind and they're both going to fall in the ditch. He said ignore them. So how, what is, how does that apply to you and me? Well, one of the things that, I, as I was preparing this, that God brought to my remembrance is that many times I'll hear as I'm teaching, like I just did with the situation that I shared a minute ago, I, I get an unction that it is a perfect example of what I'm sharing or what I'm teaching. So I give it. And before I do, the thought goes through my head, but that may offend the people but I do it anyway. Because if I'm hearing it from God, that's what, that's what I desire, is if God is speaking it to my heart, I better be giving it. So let me give you an example. There are, there are many times when something from my past, from my religious past, my denominational past, will, God will show me that it was a man-made teaching, or it was maybe um, partially true, but because it wasn't the full truth, it can cause confusion. And God is saying you need to share that. And I say, but God, there might be people that, that you know, that, that are still in Catholicism now, and there's nothing wrong with Catholicism. It is an excellent foundation. I treasure my foundation of faith. 
But I also have come to know there are certain things that are um, misinformation, for lack of a better word. We all know that word right now in this world. And God will speak it to my heart, and so I'll speak it out. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was sharing truths so that the people would have the truth. Because, again, people perish from lack of knowledge or from incomplete knowledge. So now, let's make us a, a, a little um, shift in this, this evening. And I want to share how this applies to you. I gave you lots of examples of Jesus with the, with the religious people, with his family, with, with his closest friends, um, with, with Lazarus. So let's look at what that looks like in our life. To fear the Lord. First thing I want to do is I want to drill down a little bit on the definition of fear of the Lord. So again, it's a reverential awe for God respect, honor, trust, love, submission, obedience. And it's choosing, because of all of that that's in you, it's making a choice to live pleasing God more than pleasing man, fearing God more than fearing man. We're going to talk about fear of man in a minute. It ultimately comes down to your perspective and your position. Your perspective of God, his nature, his power, and his justice. But that's based on the truth of the word. And the only way to know the truth of the word is to have the word in you. Friends, I lived 40, however many years, 42, 43 years, and never had read the Bible. So I believed everything I heard man teach. I believed everything I heard from the pulpit because I never read the Bible myself. And when I started reading it myself and started to hear teaching, and I remember going to my friend and asking a lot of questions. I would ask Jenny all kinds of questions. She would go to the Bible, open it up, and show me the Bible truth, the Bible answer. So the first key is your perspective of God. And it's based on what does the Bible say? Who does the Bible say God is? What does the Bible say is his character? He's love. He's compassionate. He has only good gifts to give. He is the healer. He's our redeemer, our savior, our provider. What does the Bible say about him? So that's number one. And the second part of knowing the fear of the Lord is your position. Knowing your position in relationship to God. And I'll tell you where our position is. We are under the mighty, amazing, powerful God. We're not over him. But in this world, people take the position of being over him, being in control, saying, or at least combined control, saying, God, in, you know, in this, in this area of my life, I got it. I'm doing good. But in this area, I need some help. That's not the right position. God says, in all your ways, know me. In all your ways, acknowledge me. Whether you think you've got it handled or not, I guarantee you, God says, my way is so much better. You need me. I need him. And, and knowing that you're dependent, knowing that you need him, puts you in a position to be in the fear of the Lord, the reverence, the respect of the Lord. So knowing the true character of God through the word and knowing your position, which is he's Lord. Here's a powerful question. It's on your sheet. Whom do you fear the most, man or God? Whose words, thoughts, and opinions do you give the greatest consideration to? If we fear man more than we reverence or honor God in his word, then we do not fear the Lord. God has spoken this to me a lot. I had a season when he was talking to me about fear of man because I was, I was deep in fear of man. Fear of man is the opposite of fear of God. Fearing man is caring more about what man thinks than about what God thinks. It's being held back from doing what God is directing you to do. You hear that voice and you say, oh, can't do that, God. Because of your 
comfort zone or your discomfort zone or not saying what you hear God speaking to you because that's fear of man, and God deals with me about fear of man. I'm preaching to myself with this message because God has talked to me about it a lot. So fear of God over fear of man. Proverbs um, 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. A snare is a trap. Guess who sets the trap? It's the enemy. It's one of those very common traps that we can cut, get caught in. But whoever leans on and trusts in and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. So here's another question. Who or what do you trust or respect the most? Highlight this. Underline it. Trust is a measure of your true alliance, man or God. Trust points you to who you are truly allied with, connected with. Man or God, in every situation. Last week, I shared a lot about my journey. And yep, I took medicine. Yep, I went to a healing center last year. But my trust wasn't in the healing center, and my trust wasn't in the medicine. My trust wasn't in the doctor. My trust was in God all the way through. And once I decided to take the medical treatment, I had no more worry or lack of peace or... or um, uh, stuff going in my brain and worry. Why? Because my eyes were on Jesus. My eyes were on him and my trust was in him. And then he put me in that safe place. It says in the second half of that scripture, um, but whoever leans on trust and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. That's where I was even in the middle of cancer treatment. Because my trust was in him. It wasn't in the medicine. I want to take a little closer look right now at fear of man. Because like I said, God has shown me that this is something that I've dealt with before. And what happens when we fear man is that we are taking um, um, a role that we shouldn't be taking. We are rejecting the truth for another person because of fear of man. For example, maybe we are afraid that they'll be offended so we don't say anything. What are you doing? You're rejecting the truth for that person because you're, they might be offended. Jesus didn't. He wasn't afraid of offending the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites, you're blind guides leading the blind. So if we have fear of man and we won't tell them the truth because we're afraid they'll be offended, we're rejecting the truth for them. If we don't tell them the truth because we're afraid, well, I'm, I'm going to put it in the perspective of healing right now. Let's say somebody comes to you with very serious, serious sickness. You see it. You see the pain on them. You see the sickness on them. Um, you hear the report. And because of the gravity of the problem, it's like, oh, boy, if I share, what if they don't get healed? If I pray for them, what if they don't get healed? And so you hold back. What are you doing? You are rejecting the truth for them. You got some really good news. I know this really good news. I'm not going to keep it away, no matter what the degree is of the illness. And then the third example is, is it out of your comfort zone? And that's the one I have to deal with in Cindy a lot. This is my comfort zone. You guys can tell that. I love this environment. I love healing meetings. I love church healing meetings. I love when I'm in church on Sunday and I'll pray for everybody and anybody and do altar calls and whatever. Not a, I love it. But if you put me in Costco <laughs> or um, the restaurant with a whole restaurant full of, we were there last night with Alice. It was, um, there were handicapped. It was a, um, some kind of a gathering. And there were about 10, at least 10 booths filled with handicapped kids. Did I go and pray with them? Nope. Comfort zone. Of course, I want to hear from God, but that doesn't mean I have to hear from him. I know the word of God. I know the will of God. If I waited till I felt like it, I would never pray for people, right? Especially in the restaurant. So 
But when we do that, what are we doing? We are rejecting the truth for the people. It's not our place to reject the truth for them. The next line that I have here is, we are commissioned to preach the gospel, to give the people, and then give the people the privilege of accepting or rejecting the word for themselves. That's not our role. Our role is just to give it to them. And then it's up to them. They have the free will to accept it or reject it themselves. But how blessed are the feet of those who carry the message. Yeah. Um, this is something else that has happened in my family that is very, very frustrating. And it has to do with my mom and my dad. And this one I am going to very clearly share. And that is that they have chosen to reject the truth for a lot of people. And this is how it happens. It's kind of what I already used the example. If the person is not very sick, if they have a, a friend, somebody in their church, an acquaintance who's not very sick, they'll tell them about my healing. They'll tell them about our ministry. They'll connect us. They'll give me their phone number. They'll give them my phone number so I can call them and pray with them. But if they're super sick, if they have a terminal illness, if they're like at the end of life, they will not tell them about our ministry. It's like, it's, it's not going to work. That's what they say. It's not going to work. It's, they're you know, they're, they're going to die. They're, they're at death's doorstep. It's not, I'm not going to tell them about Cindy. And so they, what are they doing? They're rejecting the truth for the people. And I don't know about it until after they pass. And then mom and dad will say, oh, so-and-so. And then somebody I know from my childhood, so-and-so passed. And I didn't even know they were sick. So fear of man keeps, keep, can keep us from sharing good news. Let's go back to fear of the Lord. I've got two or three juicy nuggets I can't wait to share with you. Here's the first one, and it's based on scripture. Fear of the Lord is the beginning and the most significant aspect of knowledge. Let me read the scripture. The reverent fear of the Lord, that is, worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of knowledge. It's its starting point and its essence. And I looked up that word preeminent, and I looked up the word essence. And basically what it means is the most significant aspect. So think about this. Over these last several weeks, my theme has been growing to know God more. It's all about knowing him more. I want to know him more. And I know you guys all want to know him more. We want to grow in our walk and our talk with God. Well, here's a key. Fear of the Lord is the starting point and the most significant aspect of knowing, of knowledge, of knowing what God has for us to know whether it's about him and his character, whether it's about his promises, whether it's about Jesus and the finished work of the cross. But that knowledge, the, the foundation is fear of the Lord, reverence, honor, trust, wanting to please him with all your heart. Here's another nugget, big one. Fear of the Lord includes hatred of evil. Think about Jesus. Think about how he spoke to the, to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people. Think about what he did when he went and he, and he cleared out the, the money changers in the entrance of the temple. He did it twice with anger. Why? Because he hated it. He hated what was going on. That's fear of the Lord. The reverent, whoops, we go to the next screen, honey. The reverent fear and worshipful awe of the Lord includes the hatred of evil. So we could say it includes the hatred of evil. So we could say fear of the Lord equals hatred of evil. You might think hatred isn't very Christian. Well, we're taught in the word. And I found a scripture this morning in Psalms that said the same thing, that we are to hate evil. We are taught in the word that we are to love what God loves and hate what he hates. That word hatred means to make a personal enemy of. We are to make a personal enemy of those things that God calls evil. We are to love what God loves and hate what he hates. 
So think about this. Sickness is evil. Sickness is evil. So have you made peace with some sort of sickness in your life? That's common. Probably you haven't because you know about healing. But there are a lot of people that have. And it, it, sometimes it's different degrees. Like they say, well, I can't live with cancer, so you know, I'm, I'm going to put my foot down there. But I can live with a little joint pain. If you say you can, you will. That's Pastor Tim. If you make peace with it, you own it. So we are to hate sickness. I, I talk to God about this occasionally. God, don't ever let me be complacent. I'm around sick people a lot. I don't ever want to become complacent. I want to hate what God hates with a fervency, with a passion where, like Jesus, where he cleared those tables, where we go into the hospital and we say no to that evil. We say no to the disease. We say no to pain. And it angers us. And we don't make peace with it. Here's another example. Sin strongholds or sin issues. Sin is evil. Jesus paid the price, so we don't have to live with any kind of power of sin in our lives. It's been defeated. And yet sometimes it's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe you have a, um, a lying habit. Or uh, here's a better example, an exaggeration. A lot of us tend to exaggerate. God has corrected me on that because that's not true. If you exaggerate the story or stretch it or grow it to make it sound, you know, more whatever. Maybe there's something like that hidden in there and you've just let it kind of rest because it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's a word or, or uh, anger issue or something like that, short temper, impatience, whatever. But if, if you have tolerated it, something God hates. So here's a, 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 a saying that is a Barry Bennett from Karis Bible College, and this one just kind of took my breath away. Listen to this. It is impossible to defeat or overcome what has become a pet to you instead of an enemy. So if you have that little whatever, that exaggeration thing or that impatience thing or that foul language in a certain situation thing, it's become a pet. If you have something minor in your body, um, you know, knee pain or, or that's not really minor, but joint pain or carpal tunnel or something and you've just, well, not that big of a deal, it's become a pet. I want to, I want to read this because it's really powerful. When you know that it's God's irrevocable will for you to be healthy, and when you know that sickness is always of the devil, and you have received that into your heart, and it is big in here, then it changes everything. It changes your perspective. And when you see sickness, when you view sickness the way God views it, it should birth anger in here. And a lack of tolerance for sickness and disease. It should birth in holy anger and a lack of tolerance. Next week, I'm going to teach on God's view of sickness and God's view of health. Because I feel, for me, this is for me, that I need to stir that up. I don't want to be complacent. I want to have that fervent hate of what God hates. I know I love healing. I know I love what God loves. But I want to have that fervency to take a stand and not make a pet of anything that isn't of God. So here's another Barry, Bannel, Barry Bennett um, <laughs> analogy. It's a good one. He's, this is what he says. He says, if there was a poisonous snake in your living room, what would you do? Would you invite it in as a guest? Would you accommodate it, give it some food and water? No. You wouldn't even... Get on your knees, on your face, and plead with God to get that snake out of your house. No. You would take a stand, and you would kill that thing, or you'd get it out immediately. You wouldn't fool around. 
you get that thing out of your house. That's what we need to do with sickness and disease. That's the attitude we need to have with any sickness, any pain, any disease. And we need to take a stand and say, oh, no, you are not welcome in my home. My, my daughter-in-law told me this story recently. She said that um, they live in Nevada, and there are a lot of poisonous snakes out there. And one time she went in the garage, and there was a snake in the garage. And they have two kids, my grandkids. And she got mad. She got aggressive. My little sweet daughter-in-law, she's, she's a powerhouse woman of God, and she started speaking in tongues, praying in tongues loud, forcefully. And then she got a something. I don't know if it was a broom or a shovel. And she went after that thing. And she is speaking in tongues. And she is like, oh, I don't know how it sounded. But she was speaking in tongues, getting that thing, shooing it out. And she got it out of the garage. Because that thing could not be in her garage. She wasn't going to let it stay. And Ken, or Chad wasn't home to get it out for her. So she had to take over. It, she was so aggressive. The neighbors heard her. And they've got big acre-plus yards. So it was loud. And they're coming over to check. What's going on? She's saying, there was a snake in my garage, and I had to get rid of it. They probably thought, what is she saying? But the point is, she wasn't going to let that thing be in her garage da dangerous to her or her children. That's the attitude we need to have towards sickness and disease. Don't make it a pet. Isaiah 5.20, love this scripture. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who replace darkness with light and light with darkness, who replace bitter with sweet and sweet with bitter. So that's what we're seeing in the world today. We're seeing the world calling evil good and the opposite, calling good evil Christianity is one of the most evil things the world sees right now. We are seen as racist, for sure, and intolerant, and everything else. Name it, we're, we, we are the, the poster board for the worst people out there. The good, why? Because we're speaking truth. Why? Because of the fear of the Lord. We care more about what God says than what about you say. We care more about righteousness and holiness. We care more about life. We care. We care about what the Bible says about sexuality, what the Bible says about marriage. We believe the word, and we take a stand. And because of that, we are seen as evil. Good is seen as evil. The moral code has changed. The moral code has been reversed and sin is accepted as good. We, you can't watch TV anymore. Even, even Hallmark now has started to put junk on there. It, commercials. I, don't, I hate commercials anyway. But they've got, you know, gay and lesbian relationships on commercials. You can't watch anything anymore without seeing because that is accepted. Sin is accepted in this world now. Good is mocked, evil is embraced. Light is ridiculed, darkness is worn like a cloak. The sweetness of God is called bitter, and the bitterness of sin is called sweet. We're seeing it everywhere. My friend, my um, uh, prayer partner, sent me a flyer that one of her friend's kids brought home from school. And it was an after-school club, and it was about... Um, sexuality and different kinds of sexualities and underneath it said come and learn tolerance and acceptance and love so that's what's in our schools it's not taught during the day well probably taught then too but it's offered as these clubs i saw one on facebook and it was an after school club and it was satanism did you see that one yeah come join our satan club it's in the schools. Evil is seen as good. And then they have all these fun activities, and they put all that on their crafts and snacks and, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's very, very, very sad. But Isaiah 520, that's what God says about it. 
We choose, I choose, and I know you do, we choose to please God and to believe God at his word over what man says. I'm going to close with three scriptures, three beautiful, more scriptures about the fear of the Lord, and they all have a little nugget, a little promise that go with them. Here's the first one, Proverbs 10, 27. The reverent fear of the Lord, worshiping, obeying, serving, and trusting him with all filled respect prolongs one's life. But the years of the wicked will be shortened. So there's a promise for prolonged life that is connected with fear of the Lord. The next one. Those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. I take that for my family. My, my family secure. My children are in the refuge of the power and the presence of God. And then the last one, Proverbs 19.23. When you live a life of abandoned love, surrendered before the awe of God, and that phrase right there is fear of the Lord, surrendered before the awe of God, here's what you'll experience. Abundant life, continual protection, and complete satisfaction. That's pretty much all that I desire. It's all there. Fear of the Lord, abundant Surrender before the awe of God, and you have it all. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this um, teaching that you have taught me. And, Father, I pray for myself and I pray for your people that you show us, that you open our eyes and our ears and give us discernment. When we are fearing man, when we are taking the bait of the enemy, may we turn our hearts back to you, Lord. And when you give us direction, may we say, yes, sir, with all my heart, I, I surrender, and I'm obedient to you. May we do what you guide us to do, direct us to do. May we say what you direct us and give us to say. May we pray what you give us to pray. Thank you, Father, for being such an amazing Father. We love you, and we choose to honor you revere you, trust you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.